Welcome to Triple Threat, the podcast with Jamel President, where it's good news and good vibes all the time, baby. When we left Portugal to come play with you and your system, Jamel, it was the best thing for Shane because you, you, you pushed him to do other things outside his box. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month. Hey, what's up, guys? Coming up next, we got uh, Coach Cy Alexander, who was uh, a great part of basketball history in the state of South Carolina who really did it at top-notch level. Um, we joked in our conversation because uh, he actually didn't recruit me and I wanted to play for South Carolina State. But um, we had great conversation just about what he get out of different schools, different, uh, it went to Howard, South Carolina State, Tennessee State, and North Carolina A&T. But there's communities in those, those areas that um, he learned something from the community, um, the players, and, and the assistant coaches that work for him. So very interesting conversation that we had about life in general and coaching and how you're always being watched and you keep your best foot uh, always forward. So uh, great conversation with Coach Cy. Uh, let's get into the interview. Hey, but uh, I know you're busy, so I'm not going to take up too much of your time, but I appreciate you, appreciate you coming on. Uh, man, I appreciate what you're doing, man. It's, I've been reading a little bit about it and, you know, the fact that uh, you, you're taking something and trying to make something positive within the community, that's uh, it's always good, man. More, more people should, should do what you're doing and uh, anything I can do to help you uh, moving forward, let me know. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So yeah, we, we, we take this uh, opportunity on this platform um, to try to educate um, student athletes, the potential student right. athletes coming up. You know, we feel like there's a lot of, you know, information that's just not out there that parents can get on how to that's get important. to the next level from middle school, high school, college, right. and even after college. So right. we talk to uh, coaches, business owners, agents, nutritionists, the whole nine, anything that surrounds student athlete, we try to get a little, little piece of that to give the audience what they need so they can move forward. Right now, when is this? When, when, when are you? When do you air your podcast? Um, we do it uh, every other week. Um, every other week. Yeah, yeah. So I think yours is probably going to be probably about another about, about about three four weeks. Okay, okay. okay. Well, just let me know so I can uh, uh, send me a copy of it or whatever. You sure. Know. Yeah, you you get a copy. You get an email and a copy and everything. Even when okay. you send um, your information to Ashley or your social media and all that stuff, we'll we'll make sure we push it the week before it comes out. Okay. 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 Good stuff. I, I, uh, I have not had, I listened to Ben. I have not had a chance to listen to JB yet. And I saw where the, the coach from Clemson, I think you having the yeah. baseball coach from Clemson on what have you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we'll get right into it, coach. Um, what we try to do is break down that really, you know, the beginning of where it all started. Cause you know, talking to uh, the Rick Barry's and all those guys that, you know, the, you know, the uh, elder guys is kind of things kind of change from rec departments and how people came up and all that. So we like to have, because even though it's changes, it's the stories are still the same. The approach is still the same when it comes to high school and college and competing the whole nine. So 
take us back to um, you know, park and rival days, where you're from, your state, city, and tell us about that time when the, the young young Cyrus is is, is, is <laughs> starting to come out. Well, well, Jamel, I, I grew up in uh, Winston Salem, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and uh, I was the son of two educators. Uh, both my mom and my dad uh, taught uh, school. My mom was a first grade teacher, and my father was a middle school teacher and loved sports. So that's where I got my uh, love of sports from. And and uh, they were both uh, obviously very interested in my getting an education. So education was pr- uh, primary in, in my house. And, right. and uh, so uh, I uh, started playing sports in elementary school and played through junior high school and played through high school and played through college and was a uh, uh, played at uh, Parkland High School, went to uh, won two uh, conference championships, uh, got to the state uh, tournament my junior year, lost in the semifinals. In fact, we were scheduled to play John Lucas, who was from Durham, uh, oh, wow. side, and, and uh, we didn't we didn't meet uh, Luke and them because they we we lost. Right. Then went on to uh, play four years of Division II basketball at Catawba College in Salisbury, North Carolina. Oh, hold on, Coach. Hold on, Coach. Before you get into that, I want I want the timeline of the middle school. Like, did you play rec ball? Or yeah, okay, okay. Because we, we're, we're, we, we always talk about that support system. I know your, your dad was, it was, we got some kids, I mean, some clients, some guests that didn't have a father figure. Right. didn't have that support system. So talk right. about that times where, you know, that fifth through seventh grade, we started playing in the rec departments yeah. and, who, and and how were the programs and were they effective enough to, to keep your interest through, through, through high school? Yeah, well, I, I played uh, uh, middle school. I played elementary and we had a, uh, a recreation center called Skyland. And I would go down there pretty much every weekend, sometimes during the week. We had to get my homework done first sure. and uh, had to be back home before dark. So, you know, sure. uh, and that's the way, you know, it was. And growing up in my neighborhood, it was, you talk about it takes a village to raise a, a, a child. Well, all the parents in the neighborhood knew all the kids in the neighborhood. Sure. And they, you know, if they saw you out, then they, they got you in. And all my neighbors, uh, we, we I grew up in a neighborhood where it was a lot of boys. Uh, it's unbelievable. On my street, I grew up on a street called Rich Avenue. Mm-hmm. And on my street, uh, we had one guy made professional football uh, named Ike Hill, uh, played for the Chicago Bears. We had a bunch of, not a bunch, but several college coaches, Steve Joyner, the mm-hmm. current head coach at Johnson C. Smith, wow. uh, grew up on my street. Uh, Buck Joyner, the current head coach at Hampton mm. University, grew up on my street. Uh, so it was an athletic street, and we all <laughs> it and we all helped each other. So those guys were a big part of my growing up. Uh, my my high school teammates, who were my elementary school teammates, and I went to the same elementary school that my father taught at. Wow. So you know that means. Anything I did was 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 scrutinized at a high level because right. all they had to do was send a note uh, around the corner to the other classroom that that uh, you, your son's not taking care of his business. So right. you know I, I was uh, very much uh, disciplined uh, by by a community and, sure. and, and, and by coaches. 
sure. I grew up around my junior high school coaches. Uh, I played all sports in in the, in junior high school. Played football, played basketball, played baseball. My daddy was actually the baseball coach, <laughs> so I played for him. And uh, so I, I realized early on, Jamel, that uh, athletics was a big part of who I became, and it it, it helped form my competitive nature. Mm. And it also helped form my discipline mm. because I knew to get to B, I had to do A, A being my academics. If I wanted to play, then I had to have good grades. For so sure. as you just mentioned, the, the, the one through seven was my formative years in 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 growing up understanding the magnitude of how important being disciplined was how important academics was how important it was to compete and you know i i got that i got the academic part from my mother you know right. she was a first grade school teacher i got the, the the competitive nature and the discipline from my father hmm. and, and 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 so it was a good combination and and uh, I understood my daddy uh, was a season ticket holder uh, for Winston-Salem State University back when oh. Big House Games was the yeah. coach. Yeah. I got firsthand experience to see some of the best HBCU basketball players ever to play the game. Wow. Cleo Hill was one of the best players out of New Jersey. He, you know, he talked about Earl Monroe and, and Earl was great. But Cleo Hill, if you go back and do research, Cleo Hill was one of the top HBCU players. He and Al Adams, and I, I was very blessed when I coached the A&T to get to know Mr. Adams because I watched him as a child in junior high school. I was a witness. I went to almost game the year Winston-Salem State University. It was Winston-Salem Winston State College then. One the, was the first black uh, institution to win the national championship at the Division wow. II level, wow. 1967. I was in the seventh grade. Earl Monroe averaged 40 points a game. 40? <laughs> average, you average? know what I'm saying? Average 40 wow. points a game. So uh, I was a, 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 uh, able to see that. And then I got a chance in, in high school. Uh, we had a great team, had uh, five teammates who are still very close to me now. Uh, we, we, we played uh, against the guys at Winston-Salem State, got to know uh, a lot of the players at Wake Forest. Uh, Charlie mm -hmm. Davis and Gil McGregor, one of my dear friends now, Dickie Walker. Uh, so I, 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 I was fortunate. I didn't, I didn't, athletics, athletics and competing in, in sports kept me out of games in the street and all that kind of stuff. Sure. So I, I tell young people when I get the opportunity to speak to them, which I did a lot during my career and still do now, uh, it was the foundation of what helped me become who I am today. It, it, it gave me the discipline to understand that hard, I, I have a quote, and you might want to use this. I got it from Barack Obama. And it simply says, hard things are hard. Isn't that powerful? Period. Period. Hard 
things are hard. Mm. Barack used to say, if something got to his desk, he knew it wasn't going to be easy. Mm. Hard things are hard. So my point is, if you want to accomplish something, it's going to be hard. Right. And it's going to take a certain amount of hard work. It's going to take a certain amount of hard discipline, a certain amount of hard focus, laser focus. I mean, nothing is going, for the most part, especially when you are African-American male, sure. it is going to, you got to go above and beyond the call of duty. For sure. And, and I've been preaching this and preaching it and to, to the day I die, I'm going to keep preaching it to anybody that's willing to listen. For because sure. uh, again, you know, we, 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 we have to, to, to work through a whole lot more obstacles than, than our counterparts for the most part. And it's not any, any, it ain't, I ain't no racist. I ain't anything. I'm just telling right. the truth. And, sure. and, and, and that's kind of what my, Legacy is that I, I wrote a book uh, about three years ago called Beyond the Backboard, mm. my unique HBCU experience in the shadows of big time college basketball. Mm. And it, it chronicles my entire career mm. and, 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 and the opportunity to compete against the John Cressets and the Jamel Cressets of the world. And, and, and we won some, we lost some. Right. But but through it all, we, we tried to do things the right way. We 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 faced you know we faced the obstacles and and and, and pretty much came out with a fairly decent career, what have you. you yes, know? sir. Yes, sir. I got I got a question for you. You know, back in the days, they didn't really have I don't know for for sure, but were they like travel ball, AAU basketball back in that day? So if that wasn't the case. How in, in, in high school, how did you make your college decision? Because when you're talking to other guests, I'm talking to other guests, they always talked about there was someone they knew at a college or someone that kind of in, in um, you know, recommended them. So because it wasn't that stage for, for kids to kind of expose themselves. So what was your journey of getting to um your your, your to a four-year institution to, to compete? Yeah. Well, the, the guy I was just talking to you about uh, uh that made pros, made the NFL. On my street, his name was Ike Hill. Mm. He was the first black, uh, after well, the first black uh, football player to attend Catawba College, which was about an hour from Winston Salem. Yeah, Ike lived about two houses down from me. <laughs> he went to Catawba, and it was a you know, it, it was a little, it, it was a bold move on his part. And Ike was uh, about seven years older than me, but I always looked up to him because right. he was a champion in the, in the football. He was a quarterback. He was a point guard. Mm. He was a, a, a baseball player. He, he could do it all and mm. was very ex excelled at all of it. And so he was the influence influencer in my decision to, 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 to attend Catawba. And then one of the guys that I played against uh, at, at uh, North Forsyth, I went to Parkland. One of the guys I played against at North Forsyth uh, was named Floyd Perry. And he was a big time all-conference player here in Winston-Salem. And uh, uh, and he was there also. So I had a homeboy mm. who was already there. He was a junior when I was a, coming in as a freshman. So he was a big part of that, uh, helping me in that process. But what we had, uh, Jamel, uh, in those days, we didn't have travel ball. We just had summer leagues. Mm. We had recreational summer leagues where we played 
you know, twice a week, probably played on Wednesdays, probably played on uh, Saturdays. They, and the games are either at the campus of Winston-Salem State or at Wake Forest. And it's just the best players uh, in, 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 in basically the, 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 the three cities that call it the, 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 the triad area, Winston-Salem, Greensboro, and High Point. And then uh, Bob McAdoo, uh, who played in the NBA and, and played at Carolina. When Bob uh, came back in the summertime, he had the Bob McAdoo Summer League. Mm. And it was uh, one of the first high-level, big-time summer leagues where you had some of your young stars in the NBA because Bob was in the NBA, uh, would come and play, and he had your, your, your pro, pro level, and then you had your high school level. Yes. And I played in the high school level, and guys, after our games were finished, we get a chance to see people like Dr. J. Wow. Would come down and play in the league. Dr. J met his wife, his first wife, Turquoise Brown, who's from Winston-Salem, wow. uh, by coming to Winston-Salem to play in the, in, the, in the summer league. So it was a, when, when McIntyre came down, he got the sponsors, and it was a big-time summer league. They played games in Winston-Salem. They played games in Greensboro. So that was the closest thing that we had towards uh, travel ball, but it was mostly summer leagues. And then it was just a lot of get down on the park, get to the park on Saturday afternoon exactly. and play and hoop. And if you lost, you didn't get back up. Yeah, that's right. You didn't get back up. <laughs> you had to keep winning. Yes, so sir. You had to wait an hour before you played again. You know, yes, that sir. kind of thing. So it was just playground park basketball, man. And I, yes, I, I've heard a lot about I've never been able to attend but when I was growing up, the Rucker League in New York was yeah. everything that folks talked about. They're playing in the in the Rucker, you know. But sure. uh, so you know, park basketball, playground basketball was was where I honed my skills and just competing against the best that we had in the Triad area. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm excited to announce the collaboration with NCAA Eligibility Center. Moving forward, we'll be doing a series of podcasts that talks about how to be a student athlete, the transition from student athlete to different careers, and also a lot of uh, eligibility rules and regulations when it comes to travel ball. These things we've been talking about for years now, and um, we're happy to uh, collab with the NCAA Eligibility Center to bring um, nationwide information to our audience. Again, we're excited about this opportunity and uh, we look forward to bringing this information to you guys. Um, stay tuned, stay engaged, and thanks for following. Now let's get back to the interview. While we're at Catawba, Coach, did you have plans of playing in the NBA at the next level? Well, I, I never thought what I could do to me. Maybe that's why I became a fairly decent coach. I always knew the game. I, I knew the game from an from a intellectual standpoint. I knew how I was never a, a big-time athlete. I could do two things. Well, I could do three things. One, I played extremely hard, mm. extremely. Two, I understood the game. And three, I could shoot. Right. I knew how, I mean, I could flat out shoot. And that's, and that's what I look for sometimes when I'm watching the 
a player is trying to recruit. I want a guy that's going to play extremely hard, a guy that understands the game, and you got to be able to shoot. But coach, I had all three of those things. I know, man. I, I told you I messed up. You know, I, I messed up because when you was when you was knocking them shots down and winking at me and smiling, I said, "Yeah, I screwed that one up." <laughs> so, coach, okay, so you played at Catawba four years, and then did after your senior year, did you go right into coaching? How, well, what, how did that happen? What happened was it's a funny story, and it's a true story. It's in my book. I wanted to continue playing, but that didn't happen. So I said I wanted to stay around the game. Well, I was a fairly good student in college. So my mother, my father, uh, by the way, died suddenly my sophomore year. I was 18 uh, years old. Wow. He was 55 wow. and uh, he had a brain tumor. And uh, he probably, in this day and age, he probably could have lived, but back in 1973, I guess it just didn't happen, you know. He so I decided uh, to go to law school to apply for law school, and I got accepted at several. One being Howard University. Okay, so I, I had been accepted into Howard, and it was costing some money. So I said, "Well, let me see if I can get a grad assistantship of some type." Mm -hmm. So I, I just was, I should have framed this letter. Mm. I wrote a letter. I didn't know him from Adam. I wrote a letter to A.B. Williamson, who had just gotten a job at Howard. He was a he had been at Howard one year. He was going into his second year uh, at Howard when I wrote him. And I gave my background and gave my references. And he, it was a Friday afternoon. Never forget it. it was a Friday afternoon. I was sitting at home. I got a phone call because mm. you didn't have cell phones and. Right. A caller IDs and all that kind of stuff. So you you had, you had to answer your phone. You couldn't skip the call. You said somebody want ex girlfriend. You know, talk to. You had to answer the phone. So I answered the phone, and lo and behold, it was Coach Williamson, mm. and he said, "Look, man, uh, I got your letter. I've done a little research on you. You know, you seem like you come from good stock. I'd like you to come to DC, and I'd just like to sit down and talk to you. And I may be able to work out a graduate assistantship for you." that could help you while you, you know, going to school. This was like in, in June. The next week, Jamel, I drove mm. to Washington, had a meeting with Coach Williamson and accepted his graduate assistantship at Howard, mm. okay? So now I'm off to, to Washington in August to Howard as a, as, a, as a law student and as a graduate assistant for the men's basketball program. Wow. Okay, now I'm in school. I'm in school two weeks, and I realized, man, this law school is gonna be pretty tough. I don't know if I'm gonna have time. How much time I'm gonna have to be messing with basketball? But I still have basketball in my heart. Probably first week in September, AB calls me in, and the guy that his name was Oscar Pendleton. The guy that was the full-time assistant coach had decided he walk away mm. from coaching. I see why he wanted to walk away when AB told me. He said, "Look, man, I can. I, I'd like to. I'd like to offer you this position because I've been in DC about two weeks, three weeks at the most." Mm. And he says, "I'd like to offer you this position," and I said, "Okay, uh, what's it pay?" He said $7,500. I said, what? 
I said, I see why Oscar quit. <laughs> so, lo and behold, I, I pondered over it, talked to my, my fiance, talked to her mother. And my, and I, my mother was kind of like, because my mother was all about academics. Right. And, and but I dropped out of law school mm. and except at 22, mm. accepted a full time job at Howard University. And and uh, uh, accepted a full time job at Howard University at 22 years old, dropped out of law school. So then, what happened was, now this is what this is the kicker. AB's first year, his his record at Howard was nine and 19. His first year, okay. So now we're going into my first year and his second year. We take the very same team. Mm. That was nine and nineteen, and we go nineteen and nine mm. in his second year and my first year. So I don't know how much I had to do with that, but I do know that the athletic director gave me this two story, Jamel gave me a ten thousand dollar raise. Wow. Wow. So I went from making check this out, man. I went from making this is nineteen eighty six, eighty seven, somewhere around there. Uh, no, no, no. Excuse me. 1976, 77. Uh, I go from making $7,500 to $17,500. Mm. And I went out and bought a BMW, man. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I bought a BMW, man. I was, you couldn't tell me I went in high cut. <laughs> so, and that's, that's basically, <laughs> Jamel, how I got in involved and, and see how the name, you know, I, I don't know, pretty much everybody calls me Coach Cy, right? Mm -hmm. And the way that started, when I was an assistant at 22, I had guys on my team mm. that I was coaching that were older than me, some mm. seniors, like just 23. Right. And and they wanted to call me Cy. And, 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 and that's cool in the pros, but I'm trying to establish myself as a, as a college basketball coach and, and and you got guys who who just as old as you or just as old as you are, maybe older. So I said, look, guys, let's let's do, let's do this. Let's compromise this thing. Y'all can call me Cy, but why don't you call me Coach Cy? Right, right. And that's how Coach Cy started. It, it just it was just a thing of I, I I wanted my players to feel good, and that's I've been been touted as a players coach. I heard that. that communicates with guys. I'm hard, but I'm fair. And I can communicate. One of my biggest attributes is my ability to to communicate and, and, and try to meet people halfway. You know, and, and I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna help you out with coaching before we go into the interview. I'm gonna help you out on reason why I didn't go to state, and you probably would agree with this. And 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 because of your decision, he was a great player, and it was a topsy turvy. The same thing happened with Clemson, with Terrell McIntyre uh, uh, picked Terrell Tech over me. So I think Mumu was we were running the same era where I was, he was a senior and I was a junior. So you really didn't need another point guard another, the same size. And Mumu did a great job of cycling on the state. He did. He, he and did. he always talked about, even Jamal Washington talked about how, you know, a player coach you were, how you made everything easy. Make, you know, cause when players max up, first thing they do is look at the coach. They feel that like they didn't have to do that because right. you communicated that with them all the time. Well, just like I heard, I heard, uh, Coach Betts' uh, podcast, 
and and he you asked Ben what did he get from the various coaches and I heard him say well the thing that I got most from Coach Sy was his ability to communicate with our players. I learned how important that was to making sure that you and 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 your players are always on the same line. And I I I I, I uh I uh valued that as far as I thought it was very, very important for me to know what makes Jamel tick. Mm. I, I thought that that's the most, I, I, because see, everybody's an individual and everybody has their own quirks and this and that. And so it's important as a coach to be able to communicate. Mm. And I learned this through my parents and so forth. And so I need to know what buttons I can push to coach Jamel. I see. See, I, if I need to be a crazy man to mm. get you to do what you need to be done, then I can be that. But mm. if I can just be calm and be Phil Jackson, to, and you can get it, you understand it, then I can. But the only way that I can know that is through communication. Mm. And I, I, when I have meetings with guys, I I let them do ninety five percent of the talking. I just write stuff down. Mm. And then if you don't do something, I'll pull out my legal pad and say on such mm. and such mm. and such a date. Jamel, you said you wanted to do this. I didn't say it. You said it. So if that's what you said, and I take that to be the gospel, then that's what I expect from you. Mm. Expect from you. So that's kind of how you know I I I got that label of being able to uh, uh, communicate and, and be a player's coach. I just wanted to make sure that I was doing what I could to get the best out of you, and the only way I could know that. It's for you to tell them. And that makes players feel comfortable that their, their coach has that, that personal touch with them. Because we there as players, go. we as players, we recognize that. Right. We right. recognize that. So, yeah, we get a little frustrated because we didn't get a shot or miss a shot. In back of our mind, we know our coach trusts us and he communicates and I can talk to him about certain situations. What makes it a whole lot better? I tell you, I, I tell you, I'll tell you a quick story. We're playing a championship game. We're down six, seven points, and it's about four minutes to go. And everybody was was expecting me to put some X's and O's and some, you know, sophisticated play. I just looked at Blakey. I just looked at Boomer. I said, man, how about you getting the ball, getting everybody out of the way, and let's go win the daggone game. He mm. just, it, guys, set a screen and get out of the way, face up. And that's what we did. <laughs> he, he goes about four out of five in the next four minutes. We win the game. So it, a lot of times people make things a little bit more complicated than they really need to be. I agree. I agree. So, Coach, you got Howard, South Carolina State, Tennessee State, North Carolina A&T. Those are the four colleges you 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 were you, you coached at. Yeah. Give me something you learned, not from the school, but the communities in those schools. What what you learned from each of those communities? Obviously, it's different in different states, different oh, communities. Yeah. Tell me something that you learned from the community in Howard. Well, at Howard, I was so young. I was at Howard from age 22 to age three. And I learned more about uh, the inner city. And, and you know, you read about stuff and how hard it is for, 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 for folks and Black Americans in particular in Washington, I lived it. Mm. I, I could see it mm. because I recruited guys mm. who came up in Southeast. 
Mm. I mean, I recruited some guys who, you know, it, it, when, when you go visit them and you coming out of their out of their neighbor out of their projects at night, you got to be careful to get back to your car. Mm. You know, that kind of thing. So I learned what I've been reading about my life, my mm. whole life, as far as the inner city and how hard the struggle is. Because see, Washington, D.C. is no longer chocolate city now. Mm. It's no longer chocolate mm. city. Mm. Back when I was in, living in Washington, it was chocolate city. Mm. And, and, and so you, you got a chance to, to, to really live the inner city life and understand the struggle, mm. understand the struggle that some of our people had through no fault of theirs, right. but because of the system right. that they had to go through. And I, I lived it, I saw it, and I recruited guys that I had to take. I, I, I recruited guys, man, who we some kind of way got into Howard that had, had trouble reading and writing. Mm. And this is guys that had come from inner city high schools in Washington. Right. So my point is, I learned that that stuff was real. For sure. And, 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 and that anything you could do to give back and help them guys. And that's what I, that was my goal is to make, give them anything I could do to help them understand that there's, a, that, that there's some opportunities out here if you're willing to try to take care of them. That, so that's what I learned in, in Washington. Now you go at 33 to become a head coach at, 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 at age 33, which is extremely young for a division one head coach. I took a program at South Carolina State that, had, that hadn't had a winning season in nine years. And now you're talking about, as you well know, Owensburg is the direct polar opposite of Washington, D.C. Yes, sir. All town, uh, uh, a small community, very much a community that is is is, is uh, kind of set in its own ways. Mm -hmm. You know, South Carolina State was the preeminent. Everything kind of focused around South Carolina State, and if you work there, you 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 got a chance to do certain things because you were part of the South Carolina State community. Uh, so now I get down there, a team that hadn't had a winning season. It was, quote, unquote, a football school. Right. You know, a lot of high major uh, guys coming out of South Carolina State, the Johnny Shells, the Harry Carsons, the uh, uh, Dwayne Harper's big-time football players coming out of there, uh, guys that I got to know through my being a, a coach there. But in two years, in my second year, we go to the NCAA tournament, 1988-89. Wow. We have, uh, uh, we go to like some 25 and five, uh, 25 and six, I forget now what the record was, but in, in my second year, we turned South Carolina State into now a preeminent basketball school. Mm. And, and I stayed there uh, uh, 11, uh, 16 years. Wow. And of those 16 years, this is the thing, Jamel, that I'm most proud of, of my time at South Carolina State. 13 out of the 16 years I was at South Carolina State, we either finished first or second. That's crazy. That's 13 crazy. out of the 16 years I was at South Carolina State, wow. we either finished first or second. We graduated uh, right about 75 to 80% of our student athletes that stayed 
the, the whole time. That's awesome. So that was the legacy that I that I left at South Carolina State in 2003. The most important message to get across to student athletes suffering from mental health issues is that you're not alone. Many student athletes deal with depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and other mental health struggles. If this is the case, speak to someone like a counselor, a parent, a trusted adult, or your fellow teammate. Adults who are supporting a student athlete should be aware of the signs. A student athlete who is experiencing mental health difficulties might have constant fatigue, loss of appetite, mood swings, apathy, or even declining grades and or social isolation. A student athlete's mental health can be severely affected by an injury. An athlete's entire life becomes about their sport. And when they lose the ability to play, it can take a huge toll mentally. As we continue to reduce the stigma around mental health, hopefully more middle and high school level student athletes will feel confident discussing their health, whether it be mental or physical. The Triple Threat Podcast will be adding a psychology aspect in season two. We will be doing our part to help destigmatize mental health when it comes to student athletes. So subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform so you never miss an episode. Now let's get back to the interview. That was the legacy that I that I left at South Carolina State in 2003. Uh, what I learned about Nashville, where Tennessee State was, Nashville was uh, was a was a progressive town with blacks being in very prominent roles. Mm. Uh, and mm, uh, I, I, my one of my closest. Uh, uh, companions in Nashville was the vice mayor of the city, a guy named Howard Gentry, who's the Gentry Center where uh, that we played in was named after his father. Hmm. And so uh, he was a, a frat brother of mine. And uh, so blacks were doing real well in, in, in Nashville. And, and uh, so got a chance to kind of live, kind of be back in a big city after 16 years. And, and, and again, I enjoyed my time in Orangeburg, mm -hmm. uh, but it was just probably time to try something else. For sure. And I, and, and I, I took the biggest challenge athletically that I ever had to take. When I took the job at Tennessee State in 2003, we were coming off a championship at South Carolina State. And by the way, they haven't been to one since mm -hmm. I left in, I in 2003. Uh, uh, Tennessee State won two games. They were two and 25 when I took the team over. So I was, uh, one of my mentors was John Thompson, the late big John Thompson at Georgetown. <laughs> and Coach Thompson said to me, he said, look, man, I think you should take the job. 
he kicked his thing. You could double your wins if you just win four games, you know. So, so, so I, 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 uh, I, I, I took the job at Tennessee State, and and let me, let me just say this: we we went in four years at Tennessee State. We went from four wins to, to I think sixteen, and got to the championship game of the OVC, and we lost to uh, Austin P. Wow. signed a two-year contract extension and the president and see I I, I, I was living in a false world a false, and Mike Krzyzewski told me this and I didn't really internalize it while I was at South Carolina State listen to this I worked for eight athletic directors and five presidents eight athletic directors and five presidents in 16 years. Wow. And Coach K told me one time, he said, man, that's 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 a, that's an abnormality. That that ain't normal. Mm. Usually between them eight athletic directors and them five presidents, one of them will try to fire you. Mm. That 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 uh, and but I, I didn't realize and that he was telling the truth. Mm. And but I we did we were so good at South Carolina State that nobody could come in and, and, and do that. When you talk sure. about 13 out of 16 years, you was first and second. Well, I get to Tennessee State, and in four years, we get we go from four win, from two wins or four wins to 16 and losing the championship game. But the very next year, a new president comes in. Mm-hmm. I still tell the story now that if the guy that hired me, the late Dr. James Hefner, he's now uh, deceased, if he was still the president at Tennessee State. I'd probably still be the coach at Tennessee mm. State because mm. I was his guy. Mm. He handpicked me to come and turn his pro. But he got sick and mm. had to retire. New president came in. I get to the championship game his first year. The second year, we lost some players and we we, we regressed and he fired me. Right. And, and that was the first time in my life I ever been fired. Wow. But I, held, I still had uh two years left on my contract because I had just signed a new contract. So long story short, you may have read about it, may have heard about it. I sued the school mm. for the money that they owed me. I said, hey, y'all can do whatever y'all want, but y'all don't give me my money. Right. You know, I ain't just gonna walk away. So I ended up winning the case and, and getting my whole salary, so forth and so on. And uh but I learned I learned more about politics, the political aspect mm. of things in Nashville because of what went down. Mm. And, 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 and again, the, the new president came in. I had a down year and he wanted his own guy in. For sure. And he fired me. So I, I learned that. And then when I came to A&T, the Greens, it was almost like coming home because I grew up in Winston-Salem. My mother was now, my mother was now in her 90s. Mm. And uh, so I get the job in Winston-Salem, which is in Greensboro, which is 20 minutes from Winston-Salem. The guy that, that was the chancellor that hired me grew up in Winston-Salem, uh, uh, Chancellor Harold Martin. And in my opinion, Jamel, he is one of the top chancellors of all universities. And in my opinion, he's one of the top chancellors in, in, in uh, the HBCU world. A&T is... is, is is light years ahead of a lot of institutions wow. in a lot of ways. You got 15,000 students, and it's all a reflection of Chancellor Martin's vision. Wow. So he hires me, 
And and uh, I come in, and what I learned at A&T was that if you have vision, you can do a lot of things. And A&T, as you see, they're going on. They, they left the MEAC, and they went to the Big South, and now they're in the CAA. And all that is a direct result of Chancellor Martin. They got a, they got a student center, Jamel, at A&T that's a block long. What? A block, a student center. Wow. Anything that any student center, you give me the bet, Stanford, Duke, whatever, anything that a student center could have in it, the student center at A&T has it. It compared to any student center in the world. Wow. It's a it's a block. The whole <laughs> block is taken up by the student. That's the kind of vision that Chancellor Martin has. So I get to A&T. And I learned about vision from him mm. and, and learned uh, that to, to, to be able to, you can do anything if you have vision and you have the drive to go get. So in my first year at a in 2012, 13, uh, my mother gets sick. She's mm. living in Winston-Salem. My wife gets sick. She's living in Nashville. And I get sick. And mm. nobody really knows I'm sick, but they know about my mother. I get prostate cancer. Wow. So my very first year, Auntie hadn't had a, a championship team in 18 years. 2012-13, we win the MEAC in my very first year. Go to the dance. We beat Liberty mm. in the final of the first four games. Beat Liberty and go to uh, – the, the 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 next round, the second round, and our opponent is is uh, is Louisville. That's the year they won the national championship. Well, I, I'm I'm sitting in my room at 7:30 in the morning in Dayton, having just won that Tuesday night before. I get a call at 7:30 in the morning, and I don't normally answer my phone if I don't know the number, right. but because uh, it was the NCAA tour, I figured it was a reporter, somebody calling, so I answered it. And the guy on the other end goes, stop, stop. And I said, good morning. He said, this is Jesse. It's 7.30 in the morning. He said, this is Jesse. And I'm, I'm saying, Jesse, I don't know who, Jesse, I, I'm, I'm, I'm being respectful, but I'm saying right. Jesse. He said, yeah, Jesse Jackson. <laughs> and I'm so, Jesse Jackson. He said, yeah, man. Man, I'm so proud of you, blah, blah, blah. He said, what time are you guys going to get to Lexington? Uh, because that's what we pray in Louisville. Uh. And I said, well, we got team breakfast at 10. Uh, we leave in the board the bus at 11.30. We should be in Lexington around 2. He said, I'll be at the hotel when you get there. When we got to Lexington, Jesse Jackson was in the lobby, came on the bus, and Jesse spent the whole time, Reverend Jackson spent the whole time wow. with us. He's a graduate of North Carolina A&T. Wow. And, and he and I became just like that over a four-day period. Wow. And he still, when he comes to Greensboro, we go to dinner. He's his health is failing him a little bit now, but uh, but that's that's a story. So the next year we 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 win. And I, I chronicle all this in my in my book. Uh, but uh, the next year after we win the first my very first year at A and T, June of 2014, my mother dies. September, which is three months later of 2014, my wife died. So now I'm dealing with 
the two most important women in my life having died, I'm fighting prostate cancer. And nobody knows that what they know about the, the death, but they don't know that I'm sick too. And I'm trying to make it all work. And after uh, a year of trying to do that, Chancellor Martin, who I told about, and the AD said, look, man, this is what we want to do. He said, you done, you brought us, you took us to the NCAA tournament, got us a lot of exposure, made us a lot of money. We want to off offer you an opportunity to stay at your coach's salary, and we're going to create a position for you called Director of Donor Engagement. Wow. Basically, wow. where I would go out and meet with donors. He said, you got a great personality. Everybody loves you. You go out and sell the university. And, and then you can do your broadcast and so forth. So, and, and what I learned, A&T did things mm -hmm. the right way in a mm -hmm. big time manner. They honored my contract over the next four years by putting me and creating a position mm. for me to go out and meet with heavyweight folks that love the A&T, that want to give back. And I was able to, that's how I got my broadcast mm. uh, career started. So I would broadcast games for the MEAC. I would broadcast games for A&T. I wrote my book during that time. So that's kind of a synopsis of what I learned at four universities Howard, I learned about the inner city living and, 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 and how a major big city I learned at South Carolina State how in a small town, a university can be the focal point and can make a lot of things happen. At Nashville, I learned the politics of, mm. of real life and, and how things work. And then at ANT, I learned about vision, being a visionary, that if you have vision, and you can you can dream it, and then you work hard at it. You can all make you can you, you can make it all happen. That's awesome, Coach. And and I know some years you went from head coach to assistant coach. And what we like to talk about talking to the assistant coaches, because as a head coach, of course you want to you know bring on people that have a great vision, but you never forced to um, outshine the master per se. So what do you tell assistant coaches their jobs? And approaches should be to head coaches because yeah we want head coaches want some information how to make things better and if you don't get approved or you know used I think coach, some assistant coach might feel a little intimidated about by that so what's the expectations from assistant coaches when it comes to head coaches well when I was this is a true story uh you know I was an assistant coach at Howard for 11 years you know, now as you well know, you have on coaching staffs probably on even mid-major to low-major programs and high-majors, you may have 10 to 10, 11 people on the staff. Mid-major programs, now you got at least five. Mm -hmm. When you talk about three full-time assistants, uh, a grad assistants, the director of basketball, player development. For 11 years, at Howard University, Jamel, we had two coaches. Wow. Head coach and Cy Alexander. Mm. And I learned every aspect of the game as it relates to coaching, as it relates to administrative work, 
uh, the stuff that director basketball, scheduling, traveling, over academics, every aspect of it. I learned it, and I appreciate Coach Williamson giving me that opportunity to be involved with every aspect of it. And it was hard work. Right. I mean, and I, I remember Ben saying in his interview with you that one of the things I did for him was I gave him I gave him the same, even though we had more more coaches, it was just two of us at, at Howard. It was four of us at South Carolina State. But I wanted Ben to, to be able to say that I gave him the opportunity as my lead guy to know how to run a basketball program. Right, right. By having the responsibility, total responsibility of all aspects of the program. So I would tell, I would tell a couple, two things I would tell a, a guy's firing to get into college as assistant and to try to be move forward as a head coach. One, if you're an assistant, you better have some players. I mean, that's just straight up. You better have connections to be able to help a head coach get some people that can that can play like Jamel President. That's one. Two, nothing supersedes hard work. For sure. See, a lot of these guys think it's a glamour job. A lot of these guys think, you know, I watch I when I when I was on the road, I watch assistant coaches. You know, on the road in the gym, man, they you know dapping up and this and that. And the game's going on. It's no way you can be paying attention to the mm -hmm. game and you got all these conversations going and the next job and this. Do the job that you have. Mm. Do learn and be focused. I, I, I like to watch those assistant coaches that are sitting over off in the corner taking notes. Mm. So they are really horned in on whoever they're recruiting. So that's my advice to, to well, and the, and the third thing is, is, is that your image is so vitally important. If people, you know, and, and coaches just like anybody, they talk, right. you know, they talk. Right. And, and, and somebody will say, man, that, that Jamil president is a hard worker. Right. And somebody will say it to A and then somebody will say it to C. And sooner or later they get to D and D might be Mike Shusheffi mm. or Roy Williams. And they say, oh, and, and so they, they, they process that and put it in the back. Or they say, uh, Jamel Preston, man, oh, he's a clown. Mm. He's just out here talking. And, and so my point is, you got the image mm. that you project, mm. and especially as a young African-American male. Mm. You want to project an image that your coach can be proud of. And that's, that's, that's one of the things I'm so proud of Jamal Brown, mm. uh, who worked, who played for me, your homeboy out of Charleston. Yep, yep. Came and I got a lot of flack. Mm. When Ben left to come to the College of Charleston, JB had just gotten out of school. He had been on, we had been on a, a championship team, gone to the NCAA tournament. He was a part of our 95, 96 team with uh, Moo Moo Blakeney and, and uh, uh, Derek Patterson and Eric mm -hmm. Fernandez. That was a pretty daggone good team. Mm -hmm. And we lost to Kansas that year. But I used to watch, all my players would always 
work my camp. There'd be a way for me to give, give them some money through legally uh, through the camp. And and I used to always watch Jamal interact with the with the little kids. Like the high school coaches always coach the big kids. Right. So I let the players coach the middle school and elementary school kids. And I used to watch JB just stand off on the side and watch how hard he worked, how he interacted. Mm. With those with those middle school kids and made them do this and do that. So when when Ben got the job at College of Charleston, I had a whole lot of people mm. came to me wanting to get on the staff. This guys with college experience and this that and the other. So I called JB and said, "Hey man, I don't know if you're interested in getting it because he was working in the business world, I think." Uh, uh, had been out of school one year, and I said, I don't know if you got any interest in doing this. And the job's not paying a heck of a lot of money, but it's a start. And, and, and God willing, we can continue to recruit players, this, that, and the other, and keep this thing going. And uh, I said, but I'd like to offer you the opportunity to maybe join our coaching staff. Mm. And and I got a lot of flack mm. for uh, hiring JB at the time. Mm from people who said, man, how you gonna go with a guy that didn't have any experience? I said, well, this guy played for me. I known him since he was 17, 18 years old. We won a championship together as a player and I've watched him. Mm. He's out working in the business world, he's got a degree and I watch how he carries himself. Mm. You know, he carries himself like a professional. Mm. And so consequently, I hired him. And, and I've never regretted that one moment. He's mm. gone on to have an outstanding career as a college basketball coach, uh, carries himself like a head coach, uh, articulate, image conscious, uh, great family, the whole nine. And we went through something very similar. His first, his first wife died mm. of breast cancer. My only wife died of colon cancer. So we got a bond right there. Mm. So I said all that to say that you, when you're an assistant, you got to work hard, you got to be disciplined, you got to have connections to players, and you got to present yourself in a positive image. And so, therefore, you're, you're, you're and, and the last thing that I would tell an assistant is make sure everything you do, your head coach can trust you. Mm. It's about trust, man. Mm. That in any in any relationship, whether it be a marriage, whether it be a, a girlfriend, boyfriend, whether it be coaching young men or your staff, I gotta trust you and you gotta trust me. And and I'm a straight shooter. And, mm. and I'm a I, I'm gonna tell you what I can do, and I, I'm a I, and you can deal with it, fine. If you can't fine, but I ain't gonna BS you. I ain't gonna, right. not gonna throw you no curveball. And, and, and I think that's what my players respected about me. They didn't always like it, right. but they come back now and tell me, Coach, I, I get it. I mm. get it. But I understood. Because, see, I can be – like, I, I used to I, – I tell guys at our very first team meeting, and I try to just mess with them, but I, but I wasn't really messing with them. I'd say – the first thing I'd say to them, i said, let me tell you guys something. I speak two languages fluently, English and profanity. Mm. Now, whichever one you want, <laughs> whichever one I'm gonna give you based on your actions. Right. So let's get that out front. You right. know, I'm gonna 
I'm going to treat you how you needed to be treated. If right. you need to be treated like a little kid, then that's how I'm going to treat you. If For you need sure. to be treated like a man, then that's how I'm going to treat you. So they knew up front where I was coming from. And, and then I said, hey, guys, I, I, I'm going to give you my trust. And I'm going to give you my respect. And, and, and then I want the same thing in return. So communicating is, to me, has been the cornerstone of my career. In this timeout message, we got Michael Bowman. If you want to get rid of the dog, I'm glad to say that you have to get rid of the dog, so I'm the bad guy. But uh, uh, it's one of those things where some people have problems, others don't. Um, sometimes, every year, there's a huge asthma flare when school starts and um, some people uh, feel that it's when kids get wind up uh, rolling around on old gym mats and uh, also many of the schools around here have lived through hurricanes and have a lot of dust and mold and that sort mm -hmm. of thing and so there are programs nationally to try to help people in schools have asthma-friendly schools. Now let's get back to the interview. And so coach, you know, right now, you know, you're talking about all the areas you've been in the DC areas, Orangeburg areas. Um, there was kind of tough areas in community. And, you know, even in our culture, and just, I think it's across all cultures, a dad's gonna tell a kid, hey, stick through it, uh, work hard, keep your head down, just don't worry about the pain, whatever, just fight through it. But now we, we move into a generation where this mental, they kind of coupled that with mental health. So my question I'm asking is, how do you feel about this, 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 this new terminology, mental health, um, taking the, 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 the seat of athletes not knowing how to deal with adversity or their toughness or how to deal with that. Do you think social media plays a big play into all that? What's, what's, your, what's your take on that? Yeah, I, I do, Jamel. I, I think, uh, first of all, there's nothing to be ashamed of if you don't understand how to do something or you don't feel comfortable or you got anxiety about certain things. I tell my grandkids all the time that, you know, feel free to come to me, feel free to come to your parents or whoever, and, and let me know what you think, what's going on with you. And if I don't profess to know a lot, but I, what I do know is that I know how to pick up the phone and call somebody that's supposed to be an expert in what you have an issues with. For sure. That's one. So being able to feel uh confident enough to talk about whatever's going on and, and we don't and, and it seems to me that these young people nowadays because of social media have so many things going on in their life that they that this 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 thing right here mm. this thing could be a positive mm. and it could be a negative mm. because it controls it you know you you see these kids man it's like an appendage to their hand you know they can't they can't let it go and I, I, my grandson, 
He's a great student in the seventh grade. Uh, is 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 a is a track person and is a swimmer, but he is in he is man locked into these video games. I mean, they play him. It's like he's it's it's amazing, right. and I I worry about the the time that young people instead of being like me, I'm outside playing because that's what you know, we do playing in the backyard playing whatever, you know, football by myself in the backyard, or I'm sure you played it, you know, in the AAU, in the playground, this, that, because you wouldn't, you couldn't have honed your skills without, you know, he, I have to make sure that he understands, man, you want to be good, say you say you want to run track, you say you want to be a, and he's, he's decent, he's not great, right? but if he worked a little harder at it, he could be maybe a potential scholarship athlete because he's a good student. Right. But his Saturdays from nine o'clock in the morning to nine o'clock at night is is on playing playing Fortnite or uh, 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 something to that effect. Right. So my point is, social media is is good, but it's also I tell you, John Wooten, the, the great legendary coach at UCLA, said something. Everything needs to be done in moderation. Mm. Anything that's too much of anything ain't good for you. Mm. Do things in moderation. You know, don't let something control you. Control what you can control. And I, I wonder, I wonder about today's generation. They are being controlled by social media. Kids are committing suicide. Yeah. Yeah, because of social media, what's being said about them on social media, people that they don't even know. Mm. I mean, it's like I, I, I asked my grandson, and I'm using him as an example, right? About these people that you're playing these games with, they 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 live in California somewhere. I mean, he don't even know these people, right? You know, and, and I get it because everybody. I mean, I talk to other parents, other grandparents. And their kids do the same. So my point is, it's almost like Jamel, this NIL, name, mm. image, and likeness. Right. This portal mm. with the transfer system. We are at a stage right now that some of these things are almost out of control. I agree. I Social agree. media is almost out of control. The transfer portal is almost out of control. I agree. Name, image, and likeness is heading that way. Right. And so my point is, we as the people who are in charge, who are much smarter than me, got to figure out how to get a handle on this stuff. I mean, because they created this monster, right. and now the, the genie's out of the bottle. It is. And unless... We work very hard to 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 bring it back, and I'm I'm all for college athletes getting their fair share financially because you know schools and and coaches and 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 have profited for real on what you guys have done as college student athletes. Social media 
in its own world is good. But at the same time, when kids are committing suicide yeah. over stuff that is said on social media, that's dangerous, man. And again, I don't know the answers are. All only thing I know that I try to do, and, and I don't try to be invasive with my grandkids, is talk to them about what's going on in their life and on, on, a, on a regular basis. And, you know, they're going to open up some, but they're not going to tell you everything. That's right. just the nature of growing up. You know, man, he, yeah, you know, that's just the way. So, but you got to try to find that balance as a, as a, as a parent, as a grandparent, as a, as a, as a, as a leader, as somebody, as a mentor, somebody that they honestly feel they can trust. And it goes back, I said that's about 10 minutes ago. Yep. Trust in any form or fashion is the key to any successful partnership, relationship, team, so forth and so on. We all got to know that we can trust each other. And, 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 and it may cause your network to be a little smaller than, mm. than you want it to be. You can't rock with everybody, right. you know, because right. you can't trust everybody. Right. And I, I've learned that the hard way in some instances, you know, trusting uh, business people that I thought had my best interest at heart when really they wanted to use me because right. they thought they could get X, Y, and Z. And uh, so uh, the, the mental health issue, man, is, is real. And I think that we've got to just kind of try to communicate honestly and openly with young people on a daily basis about what's and and, and we and we can't and, and we can't be uh overly critical all the time we got we, we, we got to listen to them because in, in, in what they're telling you is real to them to them correct it's, it's, it's real to them it's, it's not you may think man god come on you but it's real and and i i, I get it listening to you know, young people listening to my grandkids, you know. So I, I, I go back again, man, to try to have open and honest dialogue, try to provide the necessary uh, 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 opportunities for them to talk to whoever it is they're talking to, their counselors. I tell my, my, my daughter, hey, make sure that I'm on, I'm CC'd on every correspondence you're getting from the school. I want to know mm. what my grandkids' teachers are saying. Mm. Uh, uh, Jamel does this well, he does, but he does this bad. Mm. He needs to improve. I want to know so I right. can address it so they can know that that I and I know what's going on and I expect improvement, you know. So that's kind of my take on hopefully answering your question. Yeah, yeah, you did. He made a name for himself as a star for the College of Charleston basketball teams in the mid to late 90s. And now, Jermell President is doing what he can to make sure that the Charleston area kids have a chance to succeed on the court and in life. So I want to you know, give some of that back to the community as well. Um, after college and after playing professionally, uh, I started the Day Foundation just to, to be that wealth of knowledge to the kids in the community and, and parents as well. College of Charleston Hall of Famer Jamel President said he saw a need for this. 
while he was in school. So he founded the nonprofit Day Foundation, and his philosophy for success is based on what he calls his oatmeal recipe. Let's go and finish together. Basically, teaches the game of basketball. Focusing on skills, development, nutrition, and education. Not only SAT, ACT type stuff, but education for parents in how to navigate through the different levels of athletics. In closing, Coach, we got something called um, Oatmeal Recipe, which I created. And those ingredients is uh, nutrition, skill development, and education. And those three ingredients can not just be um, for student athletes. It could be for any type of career, any craft that you're involved in. So I want to get your take. Um, on those three ingredients and how do you apply it or did apply it to your life and coaching career? Um, let's start with skill development. Skill development is, is, is making sure you understand how hard you have to work. Because nothing, Jamel, supersedes hard work. For sure. One, you got to understand who you are. Right what you're good at. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you, if you are a good uh, musician, if you're a good uh, actor, if you're good whatever, good electrician, and you gotta have a passion for it. You, 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 got, you gotta have a passion. I think that's how you develop your skills. You gotta have a passion for something, and then you gotta work extremely hard at it. My passion was coaching. Mm. I love and still do to break down film. Mm. You know, nobody's going, I don't, I don't care if it's, I don't give a damn who it is. Right. I, I, I'm going to know as much about College of Charleston as, as anybody. For sure. Now, we may not be good enough to beat College of Charleston, but it's not going to be because I didn't study how hard and how well you all executed what you all executed. And nobody was any better than the College of Charleston and that I coached against. I mean, Coach Crest and, and, and was as good at it as, as anybody ever coached against. That's, that's a compliment to him, you, and, and, and the whole program. For so sure. my point for skill development is you gotta work hard. You gotta, first of all, know what it is that you want to be good at. Whatever that is, you gotta know what that is. Cause you can't be good at everything. Right. You can be good at something. And whatever that something is, then once you understand it, you gotta work hard at it, you gotta have a passion for it. I give you a story that that one of my former players at uh today, young man by the name of Bruce Price, high level guard. I got him from St. John, St. Charles. Transferred to Tennessee State, was the best guard, in the, one of the best guards in the OVC for the three years I coached. Got a chance to go out to California, was going to get drafted, this, that, and the other. And he was working with a personal trainer in LA. So we met, one of the meetings that I like to have, we met, uh, and I told Bruce, I said, look, man, if, you, if your workout starts at 7.30 in the morning, you need to get there at six and you need to be 500 shots before the workout even starts this mm. is the advice i gave him this is gonna blow your mind when i tell you this is the advice i gave you and i felt like i was telling the right thing to do before mm. the workout even starts you need to get up and be either 500 shots before the workout starts 
Okay. Week later, goes by. I get a call from Bruce. He's in LA. I'm saying, hey, Bruce, what's up, man? How you, how's everything going? First thing out of his mouth, Jamel, was, Coach, you didn't tell me right. Mm. I'm like, I didn't know what he was, where he was going with this. I said, I didn't tell you right what you're talking about. He said, yo, man, you told me to try to get up at least 500 shots before the workout starts. I said, yeah. He said, man, my personal trainer, the guy that works with us also is Kobe Bryant. Now, Kobe had been in the league, Jamel, 10 years. Mm. He was there before Bruce was getting up 1,500 shots. True story. Getting up 1,500 shots before the workout started. It blew, it blew my mind. Mm. It blew my mind. And he said, Coach, this dude is phenomenal, man. He's a 10-time All-NBA player, and he's there before Bruce, who's trying to be a rookie, trying to make it. And, mm. and I said, Bruce, I'm sorry, man. I mm. had no idea. And it, I learned a valuable lesson mm. in my 40s or mm. 50s, whatever I was, that how hard you got to work at something. He mm. and Kobe Bryant in the offseason getting up 1,500 shots before the workout starts at 7.30. Mm. That blew my mind. Mm. So the passion for something and the hard work, that's what I would say about skill development. What do you say about education? Because, you know, like uh, education is reading and writing is true, but education could be about the game. What I hate to see, you got 17 fouls on the clock and the player just shooting a three-pointer. I don't drive and get the free throw line. And that's that's education. How is, how is that important to you? Well, as I told you, if you remember early on and I said my attributes were, were I had three attributes as a player. One, I played exceptionally hard. Two, I had a high bat IQ. And three, I could shoot, just a la Jamel President, if I screwed up and didn't recruit. <laughs> so my point, my point was I think that people need to study everything that they do to be prepared. Mm. One of my one of my attributes, and I try to share this with young people, I try to share it with my daughter, I try to share it with my family, my grandkids, attention to detail. Mm. Attention to detail. I have a saying that I wrote on that I, that I that I wrote on my board when I was coaching. Things work out best for those who make the best of the way things work out. Mm. Things work out best for those who make the best of the way things work out. Mm. And that simply means whatever life gives you, you've got to be strong enough mentally and physically to take it and make a positive out of it. And that's, and that's being intellectual, and being having discipline, being able to, to, to take the situation because we all going to be in a situation where it didn't work out mm. the way we had anticipated it to work out. But take it, things work out best for those who make the best of the way things work out. I like and, that. And, 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 I, and I live by that. And, and, and that's my education. That's, that's, that's life education. That, that, that is a life and then when I when I got that 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 quote from President Obama, 
and he just simple. He said, man, hard things are hard. Mm. And it, it would, it, 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 he said, I'm, I'm the president of the United States. And if I get something to come across my desk, that means it's hard mm. because everybody else couldn't figure it out. Mm. So those would be my things about education, man, is that there's no easy way to get something done. And you got to keep, I, I, I get up every day and I ask the good Lord to help me to grind today. Sure. Help me to keep grinding. And, 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 and at the end of the day, I have a checklist. If I had six things I needed to do, uh, hopefully I did three of them. You know, today <laughs> right. that I did, did all six of them, that's a heck of a day. Yes, uh, like today, one of my checklists, be ready to be on uh, triple threat at 12 o'clock. I've been sitting right in front, because there ain't no highly technical uh, uh, person. So I, been, I was sitting at this computer at 11.15, <laughs> making sure every Zoom stuff was ready to go. Because I wasn't going to wait for 12 o'clock and something didn't go right. So that's that's who I am. Yes, you know, sir. I'm making sure my attention to detail is on top of things. All right. Lastly, Coach, the nutrition. What I hate to see most is at a, a tournament, an AAU program, and kids walking around with Skittles, Skittles and sodas, right? How is that coach or organization being a leader of, of telling these kids about the importance of their body? So what's your take on that? I, I tell you what I learned. Uh, one of my good friends, the late, uh, uh, great Moses Malone. Moses and I became very close. I don't know if you know, but I coached his son at, at uh, South Carolina State, Little Mo. Mm -hmm. And Little Mo, uh, Moses and I got close. I was very blessed to uh, have a Nike shoe contract uh, all the years that I coached. And I was one of the few HBCU coaches that ever had a Nike shoe contract and would go on these exclusive vacations every, every year. Coach Chris. Uh, uh, would be on it. My man that was at Wichita State, uh, what's his name? Uh, Greg, uh, Greg, Greg Marshall. Yeah, Greg Marshall. So they were, they were all, we were all on the, the, the trips together. Uh, but on the trips, I got very close to Moses because mm. uh, Nike, anybody that was under Nike contract was invited to come on the trip. So Moses and I became very, we were, we were golfing partners. And the one thing that I learned from Moses because he's preached it and he lived it. Your body is your temple. Mm. And what you put in your body is what is going to come out. Mm. And Moses Malone was a, was a very nutritious, conscious person before it became the end thing. Mm. Like now we are learning about it as African-Americans. Uh, I, my parents, you know, they we, we ate everything, you know what I'm saying? And, and they, there's sure. nothing against them. I'm just talking about how we, you know, we, sure. But my point is in the new millennium, the, 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 the health conscious is, and I'm glad you're focusing on this with these with young people because it's the right thing to do. But Moses used to always talk about your body is your temple, and what you put in your body is what you're going to get. And see, one the reason Moses Moses had some heart issues, mm. but once he finished playing, he worked out religiously every day, mm. like he was still playing. But what he didn't do, what he didn't do, was sometimes he wouldn't take his medicine mm. like he should have. 
So, you know, in talking to Little Mo, they tried to get him not to work out as hard because he wasn't playing anymore, but he still, right. you know, instead of instead of being on the treadmill for an hour, they could just be on there for 30 minutes. Right. And I'm just using that as an example. Right. But that wasn't who Moses was. He was a health fanatic, but in the end, he overdid it. Mm. You know, and his heart couldn't take it. Mm. Uh, so my point I'm making is that make sure, and, and one of the things that I'm, I'm very conscious of now is, is, is working out and exercising and eating right. For sure. Uh, I try to eat a salad of some type every day, maybe two, to make sure that I, that I eat fruit. I eat a lot of fruit. And uh, I try to make sure that, again, I'm not the, 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 as conscious as I should be, For sure. but I am. I do exercise, I do work out, and I try to make sure that I'm eating the proper things because I uh, uh, haven't had a bout with cancer. I understand what you put in your body can help control those cancer cells that are probably still floating around tiny tiny still floating around somewhere in your body right i put for i eat a lot of salmon uh i was on a i forget the name of the, the diet at some point the doctors put me on it uh it was some type of foreign diet but you eat a lot of a lot of salmon a lot of vegetables a lot of fruit and i try to hold to that you know i like a good steak every now and then but uh, sure. but, uh but the main thing is I asked the doctor, he said, Coach, you can pretty much do, and it goes back to what Coach Wooden said, do things in moderation. Don't overdo things. You know how you can sometimes go go out to dinner and when you leave, that stuff feeling, you know, you've been there, done that. In fact, I'm going to a bocce restaurant at <laughs> 5 o'clock. I can't, I can't overdo it, man. I got some good, good vegetables and everything. But I, once I feel like I've, I've reached my limit, yeah, give me a to-go box, you know, yeah. that'll be my lunch tomorrow. But exactly. my point is, do things, it's, it's like people that like to partake of alcohol or whatever, you know, don't overdo it. Right. You know, don't don't overdo it. I, I knew a guy who um, get up and go to work every day, didn't drink, didn't drink, go to work, nine to five, provided for his family. But come five o'clock on Friday, <laughs> from five o'clock to Sunday, man, he was hitting that sauce, man, like, yeah. <laughs> boom, boom. and then eventually killed him, mm. you know? But, so my point is, do things in moderation, and that's what I would say about nutrition. Make sure, sure. you're conscious of what you're putting in your body, and and, and 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 the thing that young people have that we probably didn't have, or I probably didn't have growing up, you may have, is is the availability of research, research, read. You know, nothing, nothing supersedes reading and learning. Sure. Because I, I, I'm constantly learning every day. I read about your foundation. Uh, I listen uh, and I try to take in. I, I was blessed, man. I was on the NABC board. Uh, that's the board that runs college basketball. I'm in the room with, you know, the, all the you know, the Shashevskis and the Roy Williams and the Bill Selfs and all these kind of folks, you know, for 10 years on the board. And I didn't say a lot in those meetings, mm. but I listened. Mm -hmm. I listened. And I could I could share what I hear 
the heavyweight saying, and mm -hmm. I could take it and, and kind of shape it as to how this applies to Cy Alexander and his program and his life and his this and his that. So that's kind of like my take on that. For sure, for sure. Well, Coach, man, again, I appreciate you. It was finally good to, to talk to you. I heard a lot of stories about you, you know, through players or friends and all that. So I, trust me, I, I wish I, I wish I had played for you just because I, that being that player coach, I would love to experience that. And I wanted to go to HBCU too, but it still worked out for both of us in, yeah, in yeah. both situations. So again, I, I, I appreciate you coming on today. God bless you, Jamel. Keep doing what you're doing, brother. And if I can help any kind of way, I'm a phone call away, man. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. My man. Well, you have a good have a good meal tonight and take care. <laughs> I got to push the way when I get stuff, brother. Yes, sir. Take care, right. man. Yes, sir. God bless you. You too. Bye-bye. So there it goes, guys. Another one in the books. I want to thank Coach Cy Alexander for coming on and giving us his wealth of knowledge on uh, his career and um, just different um, tidbits that we can pick up to better ourselves as uh, athletes, coaches, and people. Um, so really appreciate him coming on and, and uh, giving us this time. Don't forget to subscribe to the Triple Threat Podcast on your favorite listening platform. We are live on Apple, Google, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. That's Triple Threat spelled three R I P L E three H R E A T Triple Threat Podcast. We'll be right back. What Jermel is doing with Today Foundation and the approach he's taking to help develop young athletes, first of all, getting them prepared from the academic standpoint, which, as you know as well as I do, Bobby, that's the most important element to try to get them to eat healthy, to be able to train properly, to get the proper education, and then hopefully for those who are talented enough to have a chance to move on to perhaps even get a free education by going off to college. But I love what Jermel is doing. It's a wonderful program. Hopefully more people in the community will get behind it and some of the businesses involved as well to help sponsor this program. Because these are the kind of things that every community needs. Looking out for the best interest of a youth. The future of this country is in our youth. And everything that we can do to help prepare them better for that is absolutely wonderful. And, and I can't express adequately enough my admiration and respect for what Jermel is doing and hopefully he'll get a lot of help from a lot of people. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month.